Hey, true life. So glad to be here. Glad to have you all here today. Again, I'm Pastor Perry, and it's a joy to be here. And all of those that are watching online, we want to welcome you here today. This is a great day. Good-looking people here today. Yeah, I don't know, maybe there was a sign out front, good-looking people only, but uh, I'm glad you're here today. We welcome people, and we forget sometimes that uh, people are watching from all over. Uh, during the first service, we had some family from Kansas that was watching, um, and uh, we also had some friends from Panama that were watching the service, so like, yeah, so when we're like, hey, you know, there's actually people out there that uh, all over the world that are watching our services, and so that's, uh, that's uh, just a, a great thing to me, it's amazing uh, how technology is being used to spread the gospel and to do things, so sometimes we like to start things off with a little bit of humor, and I thought I would attempt that today, it usually... You know, my kids tell me, Dad, you're really not that funny, which makes me just keep going. You know, if you're a true dad there, you just keep aggravating the best you can. The, uh, this week at work, it's happened more than once, but where I work at, I deal with fraud, trying to catch fraud, and almost, well, not almost, everybody is younger than me on my team, and most of them are 20-somethings, and uh, so I am the old guy. And at, at there, just like for a few years at church here, I was the old guy. And uh, um, so this week, one of the people was talking. We were having one of our meetings and going over a fraud thing. And one of the young ladies said, oh, I knew this was fraud the moment I looked at it. There's no way somebody born in the 50s knows this kind of technology. To which I thank them very much for that and reminding me that I am, yes, I was born in the 50s. So, uh, uh, no way. <laughs> but the truth is, there's not a lot of technology that I know. Just ask Jared and all the people that helped me out around here. I'm like, please show me if I touch it here or here or there, whatever. But so I just thought I would just make fun of myself here a little bit. I found this thing about, you know, senior life here. The um, first one is, how are stars like false teeth? They both come out at night. Um, I like this. Aging gracefully is a nice way of saying you're slowly looking worse. And uh, let's see. Uh, you know you're getting older when you have a wild party and the neighbors don't even know. <laughs> Old age isn't so bad when you consider the alternative. <laughs> and uh, Bob Hope said, you know you're getting older when the candles cost more than the cake. And the, the last one, um, <laughs> Phyllis Diller, some of you remember who that is if you got gray hair like me. I'm at an age where my back goes out more than I do. So... <laughs> That is, is old age. But uh, one of the things, I'll throw a little plug in here for a little bit. Uh, we have small groups starting up here real soon. And uh, you need to talk to Pastor Joel if you're interested in starting a small group. You need to be involved in small groups. And I'll talk a little bit later about being connected. One of the groups that we started over the summer is for those of us uh, gray heads uh, or maybe 
some of the ladies aren't gray, but you would be if you know why. Uh, but uh, uh, it's, for, it's for groups 50, 50 and older, as long as one of the spouses is 50 or older. We meet every other Friday, have a little meal together, uh, and just swap stories and laugh. And we had a wonderful one this past week. And uh, just a lot of fun, just talking about you young people usually, and uh, how annoying you are. No. Uh, also, you know, with all the freedom groups, uh, with all the groups coming up, uh, one of my favorite, obviously, those that know me, is the freedom group. We've taken about 100, 120 people from the church through freedom, and if you haven't gone through it yet, you need to sign up in the fall and be a part of the freedom group. So... Uh, considering the age thing, when Pastor Michael asked me to speak, I, uh, um, do you have anything you can, well, you know, after 30 some five, 40 years of preaching, um, and, uh, I started when I was 15 and, and what, 30 now, I think. Uh, so it's been a long time, but, uh, uh yeah, I always have something to preach. I always do something. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to go through and grab something. And then as I prayed, the Lord started laying something on my life, on my heart. One of the things that I've actually been thinking about is that as, as my age, in my 60s, I start thinking about all of my mentors that I've lost. Because the next group ahead of me, the next generation ahead of me, they're all in their 80s. And unfortunately, they're dropping. They're going on to their reward. They're going to be with the Lord. And I know of like the uh, five men that were most influential in my life as a Christian, four of them have gone on to be with the Lord. The only one that's still left is my father-in-law, who has been a mentor to me since I was a teenager. Uh, before I actually started dating Penny, he was a mentor to me and uh, at youth camps and things. So what I got thinking is, uh, you know, Lord... What am I going to do with the rest of my life? What am I going to do that's going to make a difference? And how am I going to finish this journey? I don't plan on checking out anytime soon, but I got to tell you, I remember my mother saying this one time, and the older I get, the more real it gets. As you get older, time seems to speed up. And so you blink twice and all of a sudden you're 60. You blink again and you're going to be 80 or whatever else. So what am I going to do and how am I going to finish this race that I'm in? And I kind of want to talk about that today. And we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. And it's about Nehemiah rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. Um, and I just got to say that after the last year and a half, I think that most of us have some rebuilding that we need to do in our life. I mean, when the pandemic hit, you know, as a church and as individuals, a lot of us were riding the wave, man. Things were going great. You know, we were exploding in every area. And then for a year and a half, it seems like so many things have been put on hold. And some of the things that we build up have been torn down. So what are we going to do with that? We all have areas of our life that need to be built back up. For some of us, it's our character. We've allowed things during this pandemic to come into our life that we normally wouldn't have allowed to come in. For some of us, it's our family, our marriages, our relationships with our kids have been strained. During the pandemic, the divorce rate has been on the rise and, and other things have been happening to families because of all the frustration and the isolation. Our finances, many are having difficulty there. Our homes, our relationship, our health. 
both physical and mental during this last year and a half. There's a lot of walls that have been laid into ruin, just like in the uh, city of Jerusalem, uh, in, in the uh, in Jerusalem, the walls that have fallen, fallen down with that. I think about the physical health. I know personally, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. Before the pandemic, I had gone into a concerted effort to take back my health. And I lost a tremendous amount of weight and was doing really good. But then getting up in the morning... And instead of going to work with a disciplined lunchbox there and everything, it was just get up. I, I got a bedroom we converted into an office. I call it the dungeon, you know, and so I'm going to the dungeon today. But the difference is it's not a disciplined lunchbox that's there. It's a refrigerator full of stuff and a cupboard full of stuff. And you know, a little bite of this and a little bite of that won't hurt. And then another bite. And honestly, I've gained back about two-thirds of everything I lost. So there's a lot of walls there in my life physically that have been torn down. For others, it's walls mentally. You've allowed the, this isolation and loneliness to affect you. And, it, and believe me, it's real. Just as real as the physical. So, my, Pastor Michael shared with us about the 21 days of prayer. So today I'm going to talk about rebuilding, and it starts today with prayer. We're going to get into that just a little bit here, because the 21 days of prayer gives us a chance to start the rebuilding process. It gives us a chance to make more room for God. When you're praying and you're seeking Him, you know, all the conversation with God and everything else, but at its very basic root, it's making room for God in your life. Because i got to be honest, you know, there's a lot of things in my life sometimes that I crowd God out of my life instead of making room for Him. It gives you the chance to do that. So, some of you, like, pastor's got a big orange bucket up on the platform. I heard it was BYOB, and I thought, bring your own bucket uh, today. Uh, and my kids were right. But when I think about making room for God, some of the prayers we pray sometimes, you know, there, there's the, the, the when everything's going good prayers. Oh, Heavenly Father, thou that rideth upon the heavens, shine thy faith upon thy faithful servant. I grew up listening to prayers like that. We had one guy we always dismissed in church. Heavenly Father, thou hast blessed us with thy favor, with thy blessings. Now travel with us to our humble abodes. And I was a teenager. I had no idea what an abode was. I thought he was talking about a boat. <laughs> and I asked somebody one time, how come Mr. Davidson, he was one of my mentors, how come Mr. Davison keeps talking about going back to his humble boat? You know, I didn't even know he had a boat. Abode, home. I said, why didn't he just say home? And then there's the emergency prayers. The emergency prayers are when you run in the house, the door slams behind you, and you slide all the way across the floor till you hit the bed. And you're like, Jesus! You know, and that's a me prayer because it's all about you. But the 21 days of prayer is really about making room for God. And I like to relate it like this. Some of you may know what this is. This is a thimble. 
I have used a thimble before because I have sewn buttons on and you know I will inevitably stick myself when I am trying to do something like that. I married a seamstress and uh, so Penny's a very good seamstress and so I don't sew buttons on anymore. It's the only reason I married her, just to sew buttons on. I'm kidding, honey, you're in the lobby. You, you know that there's a lot of reasons. But a lot of times we go to God and we hold a thimble up and we say, Lord, here I am. I'm coming to you in prayer. Fill this thimble. We just open a little area of our life up, but not all of it. And then some of us, we come to God at times, and I know I've been guilty of the thimble and just opening a little bit. We come to God with a bucket and we say, here, Lord, I, I want you. I, I want you to just fill it, Lord, with whatever you want to put in my life. And we come to him with a bucket. And in other times in life, we come to him with the five-gallon bucket. And we say, Lord, here I am, pour into me. And I'm not talking about gifts. I'm not talking about possessions. I'm talking about just pour into my life anything you want to. And I tell you, if I could have got a bathtub up here today, I would have put a bathtub up here and said, the ultimate opening up to God is when you just say, Lord, here I am. I'm just going to fall in here and you pour on me everything you want to pour into me. So today in talking about finishing strong and the 21 days of prayer, we want to go to God during these, these next three weeks and we want to say, God, pour into me everything you want in me, all whatever it may be. And with that, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. And if you study the book of Nehemiah, uh, it's kind of broken up into four categories. The first part is when Nehemiah sees there a problem, that there is a problem in Jerusalem, the wall is down, and he owns it. He, take that, he takes that for his possession. The second thing is he made a plan, and then he worked that plan. The third thing is... He got ready for opposition because understand this, anytime you start submitting yourself to God and you say, Lord, fill me, you're going to face opposition. And the last thing is what we're going to focus on, and that is finishing strong. You know, the, honestly, I haven't had time, but they tell me the Olympics are going on. And, you know, there was a time I just, I, I was glued to it night and day. And I just haven't had time to, to get into it. I'll look at some of the results and things. But, you know, the, the, the sprints, the 40-yard dash, some of those things, I was terrible at those. In school, I was terrible now, you get me to run a mile, I could whoop some of the people, but if I had to run the 40-yard dash, I was terrible. And in school, in football, I was a tight end, so I always had to run with the receivers and the backs, which meant the last person had to run again, which was usually me, you know? <laughs> but if you put me out there running the mile, I could run past those fat linemen in that day, you know, they had no problem there. But you see, the race of life is kind of like that. Ecclesiastes says this, I returned and saw under the sun that the race isn't always to the swift. And in church, we're guilty of sometimes, I, I think of just short-term things. You know, oh, I made it to church this week. That's good. Yeah, it is. But let's start being faithful all the time. You know, let, let's, let's start running this race all the time. Let's get past just the little baby steps. Let's get into something deeper. Let's understand this. Race isn't always to the swift. So Nehemiah became a master rebuilder. But this is his job before he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He was the king's cupbearer. 
Now, what's the king's cupbearer? Some of you would volunteer for this job. There's a, a more to it in tail, but the simple version is he tasted the wine to make sure it was good enough for the king. Some of the, well, so in case it was poison. Well, actually, most of the time, just to make sure it was good enough for him to drink. So that was his job. <laughs> now, king, you don't want this. I'll take it back, you know. <laughs> But that was, his, that was his main job. He, he, he took care of the king. If the king needed a sandwich, he'd get him a sandwich. He was kind of like, we would just say, a, a butler. You know, uh, if you think about that. He, he just served the king and he did whatever the king needed with that. He was the king's cupbearer. And he heard, he was in Persia. And uh, Cyrus Persia. And, and while he was in Persia, he heard about his people. And that the walls of Jerusalem had been knocked down, and they had been down for 72 years. So before this guy was even born, the walls of the city had been torn down, but you didn't just go and Google it back in those days. So when he heard that the walls of his people were torn down, it broke his heart. Let's look at the word. Nehemiah 1.4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, I fasted, and I did what? I prayed before the God of heaven. He prayed. I got to tell you something. There's things in our lives that need to change. There's things in our lives that God wants to build up. There's things in, God, in our lives that God wants to do for us. But until your heart is broken and until you pray, nothing's going to change. Okay? There are things we just, we just, you know, our heart needs to break over the loss that are out there. Our heart needs to break that there's people that are not saved, that there's people that are hurting, that people are dealing with depression, people are dealing with, with, with all kinds of problems, and, and we go along our merry way, and we never let it affect us, and we never let it break our heart, and we never pray except for the me prayers, and I'll get into those. Well, this verse here where it says that he heard these things and he wept, when was the last time you cried over anything? Years ago, I, when, when I was part of a, a particular group, uh, these ministers, I was talking to them. We had this big camp meeting thing, and they went to speak, pick up this, 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 the guest speaker, and he was an elder, older minister who was just a, a sweet person. I, I, I knew the person personally, just a sweet person. And they went to the airport to pick him up. And these guys thought that they just wanted to see his reaction. And now, it's changed now, but there used to be a place in Baltimore that was much bigger than it is now. It was called The Block. And The Block was where all the stripper bars and all of the, the, the just really bad section of town. And so they thought, we'll drive him right through there. You know, right through The Block and, and, and just see his reaction. And they all were, they were talking, and I was listening to them. They said, we'll never do that again. I said, why? I said, because we got right in the middle of the block. And he said, stop. Stop the van. And they stopped, and they turned and looked at him, and he was just bawling his eyes out. And he said, there's so much sin, and it's condensed in this one place. Why is nobody in this area doing anything about it? We need people out here. What breaks your heart? What, what will you allow God to do in you to break your heart? So, we call this verse here, 
See if I've got this with me. We call this verse here in Nehemiah's life a hinge verse. What is a hinge? A hinge is a very small tool that allows you to move a very big object. If you look at the doors out there, could you imagine this morning when you came in, if there was no hinges on those doors, and to get in, you had to pick those doors up and set them down, and then when you got back in, move the doors and put them in place. You know, those are some heavy doors, especially the doors through here that are fire rated. Those are some heavy things, but you can just look at that hinge and with your fingers, you can push that door open. You want to know what will change your life is allowing this hinge verse in your life. Things right now that seem unmovable, things that you're facing that you don't think can change. If you allow God to melt your heart and you open up a bucket for him and say, pour into me, God, then that hinge verse will apply to you and you will be able to open things that were impossible before. Amen, pastor. Thank you. Amen. I am preaching better than you're responding this morning. Mm, Don't make me get my sheet out on you. Some of you have been here a while. Uh, So, before God could rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he had to bend the heart of Nehemiah. Before God can fix your marriage, he has to bend your heart. Before God can fix your relationships, he has to bend your heart. Before God can open up that ministry that you want to be involved in, God has to be able to bend your heart. Before God can do anything in your life, you've got to make room for him. Amen. He heard the temple. It had been in ruin. God needs someone to get out of their comfort zone. And he found him. A cup bearer. A taster. That's who God used. You say, I'm not qualified. God doesn't care. Nehemiah had no business as a construction foreman. There's no resume that says he knew how to lay brick. There's no resume that even said he knew how to organize people. He had a cush job. He had no business doing that. But God doesn't look at resumes. God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the qualified. He looks for the willing. You've heard this before. He looks for the willing and the called. God then qualifies the called. When God called me to preach the gospel, I preached my first message at 15 years of age. I had not been saved but six months. When I got saved, I didn't know the difference between Old and New Testament. I didn't know that Christ had rose from the dead. All the movies just had him on the cross. My biggest religious experience was going to the theater and watching Jesus Christ Superstar. That was it. And I was shy and bashful. And I don't believe that, Pastor Perry. It's the truth. I was. I would get sick when I had to give an oral report in school. But I was willing. I said, God, here's this big empty bucket. Fill it. I don't care. Whatever you want. So let's look at this here real quick here. Nehemiah 6.15. So the wall was completed. Now, it had been down for 72 years. Nobody in Jerusalem even tried to rebuild. 72. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Huh. 
Jared! <laughs> all right, we'll go on. I'm going to read the scripture and we'll catch up here in a little bit. And when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Hey, Jared. How you doing? Good. I love this guy. Listen. Hey, there it is. I just read that to you. Yeah, thank you, Jared. That is a busy man, I'm telling you. Show some love to him when you see him out in the lobby and things. All of these guys. Do you know that uh, good sound people, you never even know they're there until something goes wrong. They're still good because he can fix it. But you ever notice that? Go by and thank them when you don't notice them. Yeah. Yeah, give them a hand. That's all right. So, listen, 52 days. What could not be done in 72 years was completed in 52 days. What everybody else thought was impossible was completed in 52 days. Have you ever had impossible things in your life that you didn't think would ever be done? God says, I can do it, and I can do it in record time. Whatever it is. I've been waiting on this for a long time. Get your bucket out and say, God, fill me. Whatever you want in my life, fill me. Now, listen, this is a hard job. There was four and a half miles of wall. Four and a half miles. I don't even want to walk four and a half miles, much less build a wall four and a half miles. It was completed with an unqualified contractor and an army of volunteers. In the first service, Pastor Michael was in here. I said, think about Pastor Michael building his church. Nine years, nine and a half years into it. Pastor Michael had never, never pastored before. He had been a youth pastor, been music. He had never pastored before. He's living in Florida. And one day, him and Pastor Amanda got the bucket out and said, God, fill it up. Whatever you want, fill it up. Be careful when you say that because God said, go to Delaware. Build a church. Kind of like Noah in the ark, right? <laughs> A church in Delaware? Yep, just go up there, leave everything, go start a church. I'm not saying he wasn't totally qualified, but this was the first time. He had never built a church. He had never leased a building. He had never bought lights. He had never bought sound equipment. He had never done any of that stuff. Thank God that he became that bucket and he said, God, pour into me. And it became what it is today. And we still got a long ways to go. All right. Let me move on here. I don't want to put you all to sleep here this morning. Some of you are close. Listen. They rebuilt that wall four and a half miles with unqualified contractor, with nothing but an army of volunteers. And they changed the city and they changed the lives of that area for generations to come. And it, it, it all started in Persia with a hinge prayer. That's how it started. Just with a hinge prayer that opened a door that was too hard for them to open on their own. I'm going to tell you this. Never, never, never discount the power of prayer. But there was still a lot of hard work to do. To see the prayer through, it takes resilience. It takes resilience. Let me go through this. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we use this during our heroes uh, series, let us throw off everything that hinders us 
get everything out of the bucket that shouldn't be there, and the sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance, that's resilience, perseverance, that race that's marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. I look at the cross and I don't see joy. Jesus looked at the cross and he saw joy because he saw you and me and our salvation laying right out there for him. And he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross was an instrument of shame and humiliation. To put somebody on the cross was the ultimate humiliation. He scorned it. Do you know what that means? He made fun of it. He was like, he was like, almost like, you put me on up here to get shame? <laughs> I'm going to get glory out of this. People are going to look to the cross and it's going to change their life. Go ahead, put it up here for an instrument of shame and it's going to be a banner of my love throughout generations. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners so that you will not grow weary and, low heart, and lose heart. The reason that so many give up is they don't have that resilience. And Nehemiah with the joy here, I love this. One of my favorite scriptures. No, actually, my favorite scripture. For the joy of the Lord is my strength. I can have the same joy when Jesus was facing the cross. I can have the same joy even when I'm going through difficult times because it may mean the difference in somebody else's life and not just mine. All right. Amen. Resilience. I just looked this up in the dictionary. Resilience, the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Toughness, I like this, and the ability to be able to spring back into shape. You know, the enemy's going to come against us, but resilience gives us the ability to spring back in shape. On vacation this, this uh, last week, I did my niece's wedding down in Tennessee, and uh, we were in the Cracker Barrel. Uh, several times, can you say biscuits and gravy and grits, uh, and, and real ham, country ham, you know, so, which again goes back to the weight thing, you know, uh, but uh, I, we, we always walk through the section, you know, of all the stuff that you want to buy, but you don't, and I saw this toy that my son Joel had when he was young, Stretch Armstrong, anybody remember Stretch Armstrong? It was this, I, I said, toy, action figure. You don't call it a doll. It was an action figure. And you would pull Stretch Armstrong, but when you let go, he would just slowly go back into shape. That's kind of like the way God wants us to be when the enemy pulls on us. No matter what happens, we get back to where we need to be. You know, we'll go through difficulties. We'll go through trials. But we need to keep that in mind at all times. Resilience. Resilience it's not just putting up with stuff. It's being able to endure and, and, and keep things the way they should be and keep moving forward. My, my, when I think about resilience, I, I think about a movie that I watched, uh, Unbroken. Anybody else here ever see Unbroken? You know, I, I would say kids shouldn't watch it. It's, it's, it's very violent, I, I would say. But it's the story of a man in during World War II. Matter of fact, the man's name is Louis Zamperini and uh, real person. He was a track star. Uh, there he is. And he was training for the Olympics 
1940 Olympics, which were to be in Japan, in Tokyo. And he was training for that, very good athlete, top athlete. And uh, while he was training for that, the, uh, the, the, the Olympics were canceled, and he joined the military. Um, he joined the military. He actually went in as an infantry man, uh, but the military moved him over to the Air Force. Uh, I remember my grandfather got drafted in, the, in World War II, and he said it was like right at the height, and they were just anybody. Uh, Grandpa had three kids, but they drafted him anyway, you know. And he said when he stood in line, there was a big table there. And he'd gotten down to this. He said, you're approaching. They would look at you and say, Army, Air Force, Marine. <laughs> and they punched it before you even answered. So we, wherever they were telling you, they, they, they sent you. And he said, uh, so he went in to uh, uh, become a pilot. And when he was a pilot in one of the missions that he was flying, the, the plane crashed into the ocean. When it crashed into the ocean, he was in a life raft uh, for 42 days. 42 days on a life raft. And he said at times, planes would fly over and they would, they, they would shoot at the life raft and they never hit it. And there were sharks constantly swimming around there. And after 42 days, some fishermen found him and immediately turned him over to the military police in Japan. He was held prisoner after that, and forgive me for the quality of the pictures, but he was held on the left here. He was held prisoner for almost two years. And if you read the book, I, I was reading, reading on this, uh, if you read the book, the movie doesn't even begin to show just the cruelty that he endured and the punishment, especially when they found out he was a prize athlete. They put him through just utter torture. He said at one time they lined all of his fellow prisoners up and they told him, you are to go right now and as they lined up and punch him in the face as hard as you can. If you don't punch him as hard as you can, we're going to kill you. We'll shoot you. And he endured over 200 of those punches. Uh, and, and that's just a fraction. So this was Zamperini, he, he, but he never, he never backed down. He never did what they wanted him to do and, and deny his, his American, you know, uh, patriotism or anything else. I decided to go black screen. I didn't want you to have to watch that too long. Zamperini went through all of that, and we'll come back to the end of his story in just a minute. But Nehemiah also went through this. He went through resistance. He went through ridicule. He went through mocking. He went through sabotage. Anytime you start to surrender to God and do something for God, you're going to find resistance. It just happens. It just happens. I don't care. I'm sure Pastor Michael and Amanda, when they started the church, there were probably people who said, What are you doing? Are you crazy? You know, you're going up to Del you're in Florida, you know. Come on, you got a you're a great church down here. You're part of the church family. No, I really feel like I'm sure he got criticism. Maybe even from family, who knows. I know that anytime I've done something, some of the biggest criticisms of God is when I've really felt the Lord leading me to go on a missions trip and to go somewhere. Are you crazy? You're going to Africa? Do you know Zimbabwe is like a third world country now? Do you know that they've got all these things going on? Yeah, but I feel like I have to go. And I would get criticism from people who I really was hoping would support. So Nehemiah felt this, 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 this trouble with it. So 
We're going to look at some things here. I actually got this from an author by the name of Todd Bolsinger, and he wrote a book on resilience. And just some of the points there, I actually grabbed from him. So I, I, I just want to go through this, make sure we have a little bit of time here. Listen, if, if you're going to have resilience and you're going to finish strong, you're going to get through this race. The first thing is you start with conviction. What is conviction? Conviction is being convinced that it's the right thing to do. Whatever it is, whether, whether it's going on a missions trip, whether it's starting a small group, whether it's working with kids at a summer camp, whether it's doing whatever the case may be, you got to be convinced it's the right thing. Nehemiah had a cushy job, and the right thing for him to do was to leave that and go rebuild walls that he didn't know how to rebuild. But he was convinced. He had a conviction about it. It was the right thing to do. He was convinced God was on his side. He was willing to do whatever it took to get the job done. God has and will do the same thing for you. Whatever you're rebuilding, it needs to have your conviction. My marriage is worth saving. That needs to be your conviction. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my kids. I'm going to keep praying no matter how they're acting. That's my conviction. It's the right thing to do. I'm going to support my church. It's the right thing to do. Whew. I almost want to preach this morning. But I'm going to stay calm. <laughs> stay calm. Listen, if you're going to finish strong, you not only have to have conviction, you need to stay calm. Don't panic when things go sideways. Why? Because anxiety is contagious. Anxiety is contagious. It just is. Again, we started the, uh, the church. I say we, this fall, it'll be seven years being a part of the church here. Um, when they started the church nine and a half years ago, and they go to a movie theater... I'm sure Pastor Michael had never converted a church into a movie theater. I mean, a theater into a church. Well, we did it the reverse at the end of the day. <laughs> but the one day, right after we had done some remodeling upstairs and getting things going, you know, you know the story, some of you do. We were, we were, you know, two and a half years into it, almost three years into it. And then all of a sudden, the owners of the theater came and said, we're closing the doors we're being bought out. You guys have to move, like now. <laughs> now, maybe at home, Pastor Michael might have been, oh my Lord, <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> but I never seen it from the pulpit. I saw a calmness and a peace, and I saw God is going to see us through this. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. This must be God just pushing us out of the nest, and he's got something bigger and better for us. Amen? I can imagine Nehemiah at times may have privately said, Oh my Lord, look how bad. Can you imagine once he got there? Oh, it really is in bad shape. But you know what? We're going to get this done. Anxiety is contagious, but on the good side, peace is also contagious. When a leader is calm, it brings down the anxiety. There is, I, I wish I had thought of this. I didn't even say this in the first service. You know, one of my favorite artists is Norman Rockwell. Love Norman Rockwell's work. And he's got one piece called The Four Freedoms. And in The Four Freedoms, there's one about, about peace. 
And it's a picture of a mom and dad. Look it up. Google it when you get home, the four freedoms. It's a picture of a mom and dad standing over their little kid who's sleeping in the bed. And everything, is, it's so peaceful. I mean, it's just a little dim light. And the, babe, the kid is sleeping so snug in the bed. Mom and dad are standing there beside it. And you miss it if you don't look real close. Because standing there, the father is holding a newspaper. And in the newspaper, it says, Pearl Harbor bombed. That was the news of the day. But the leaders of the family kept peace. Let me tell you something, parents. I didn't say this in the first service. Parents, you should never bring anxiety into your household. Your kids should not grow up worrying about things. Your kids should not uh, uh, worry about the finances. I'm not talking about not teaching them the finances. But they shouldn't be wringing their hands and afraid to eat a a piece of bread or, or something like that. Keep peace in your home. That's just a little advice from me. Keep peace in your home. Listen, here, here's a neat thing. Nehemiah, uh, Pastor Michael talked about this on Wednesday night about names in the Bible and how they got them. If you weren't here Wednesday night, go home this afternoon, watch the Wednesday night, first Wednesday service. Uh, great, great lesson on prayer. Nehemiah's name actually means comforter. God sent the comforter to rebuild the walls. Isn't that neat? God sent the comforter to rebuild the walls. Chapter 4, though, they've got the walls going. Conflict started. The enemy started stirring things up. Things started looking bad. It was like, ugh. And Nehemiah, the Bible says, reminded the people to remember the Lord. Sometimes you got to go back and say, okay, okay, God, you're in control. What was going on? Well, what was happening, the enemy was speaking to some of the people rebuilding the wall, and they said, look at that flimsy wall. If a little fox ran across it, the whole thing would fall down. And you know what the people started saying? This is a flimsy wall. They said even a fox could knock it down. Why are we building this wall? It's not going to work anyway. And they started wringing their hands, and they started working. How many know bad news travels faster than good news all the time? Amen. That's why there's 24-hour news stations, you know, because bad news travels a lot faster than good news. So they're wringing their hands. and re- Nehemiah reminded the people to remember the Lord. You, you can write this down if you want to. Fear and anxiety are terrible fuels to run on. Fear and anxiety are terrible fuels to run on. John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, Nehemiah. I'm going to give you another comforter. I'm going to give you Nehemiah. That he may abide, it wasn't Nehemiah, that he may abide with you forever. Listen, he said, I'm going to give you another comforter. But what he was saying to you, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be gone. There's going to be a lot of disarray. The enemy is going to try to come in and get you off focus. I am going to put in you, the comforter, a non-anxious spirit. Think about that. God says, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of the storm. I'm going to give you tranquility when the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't care what pandemic comes. I don't care. Listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this. People ask me, aren't you worried? I am not worried. Now, I'm not being stupid. If you're coughing and hacking, don't get in my face. 
vaccinated or not vaccinated. I, I'm not here, I'm not saying, making a political thing. Mask or no mask. I lay my head down at light, night with peace in my heart, okay? And I'm not telling you to do, not to do. What I've done is not your business. I'm telling you, in the midst of storm, you can have the comforter. Amen? Mm, I didn't say that in the first service either. I'm going to put my non-anxious spirit. Stay connected. Nehemiah had them working groups. One of the hardest lessons last year, year and a half, was dealing with isolation. When we're alone, the enemy picks us off with lies. We become vulnerable. Lies like, you're no good. You can't make it. Nobody cares. Listen, a self-defeating voice in your head is not from God. Let me say that again. A self-defeating voice in your head is not from God. It's the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what the word says. When the enemy says, you're no good, nobody cares. I missed church three weeks and nobody called me. You missed church three weeks and you weren't sick, then you don't care about you. Oh, I felt chills. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. If you need something, reach out. God, you know, call Pastor Perry. Say, hey, I need somebody to pray for me, and I will come and pray for you. I'll pray for you over the phone. If some of you know me. If you, in the hallway, say, hey, could you pray? I'm interviewing for a job. I'm going to stop right there and pray for you because I'm old and I'll forget if I don't pray right then and there. I do it. Some of you are, have been victims of my prayer. You know, because I, I just... God did not give me the gift of reading your mind that you have a need. I'm serious. Some of you know me. If you text me tomorrow and say, hey, can you blah, blah, blah? Sure. And if you haven't heard from me in four days, text me again because I'm old. And 14 other things happen. Self-defeating voice. So he faced opposition. He stayed connected. This is how he stayed connected. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families and their swords or spears or bows. After I looked these things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for you. Fight for you and your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Fight for your families. Fight. <laughs> Listen. Don't build alone. It doesn't work. Been there, done that, have the scars. To bring people together, you need a shared mission. Oop. You need a shared mission and a common enemy. Understand who the enemy is. Because your feelings got hurt, because somebody didn't pay attention to you at church, the church is not your enemy. The church loves you. But I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to let you down. Pastor Michael's going to let you down. Everybody in here, want to, and you're going to let me down probably, if given long enough time. Not intentionally, 
Really, not intentionally. But it happens. We don't do what you think we should do. When we, do you think we should do it? Don't get ruffled. Show some grace. Show some mercy. Treat us like you would treat, like the Lord treats you when you mess up. <laughs> okay? This sermon's going a whole lot. Is that okay? It's going a whole lot different than the last one. <laughs> Listen, this is important. Don't fight with your families. Fight for your families. I was talking with a couple not long ago. And they were having some difficulties. You know, ram, 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 just. <sighs> they didn't realize that it was the enemy pulling them apart. I don't know where our affections are. And I just stopped right in the middle of them. And I said, let me ask you this question. I asked the husband. I said, if I got up right now and just walked across and slapped your wife just about as hard as I could slap her. Now, they're mad at each other. What would you do? Pastor Perry, I'd lay you out. <laughs> oh, so you're willing to fight if I slap her, but you're allowing the enemy to attack her every day and you don't have a backbone to stand up and say enough is enough in my family. I'm not going to allow this anymore. I don't think I was their favorite person at that point. I didn't care. The last thing here, stay the course. Stay the course. I love this. This is New Living Translation. The godly may trip seven times, but will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. One disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. I like the godly may trip seven times. I, I, I'm doing a little, you know, manipulation of scripture here. No, God, I think you'll be okay with this. Seven times. He may fall seven times. I think about when they asked Jesus about how many times should you forgive? The, the scripture says seven times. Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. <laughs> I look at it that way, though the godly trip seven times. Now, if the godly trip 70 times seven, as long as they get back up, they'll get back up. Amen. Because I passed that seven times a long time ago. You will mess up. You will fail. Not if, but when. When you do, humble yourself, get up, repent, make amends, and get back in the race. It was rebuilt in 52 days. Now, I never noticed this in Scripture. I've read Nehemiah a few times. Nehemiah 4.23. This is what he said. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. For 52 days they didn't change their clothes. Never took them off. <laughs> That's how dedicated to the job they were. That's how committed they were to the job. If you don't change your clothes for 52 days, you're either on mission or you're a middle school boy, one or the other. Let me, let me say this, and I'm, I am trying to bring it down. Mission is more important than fashion. Mission is more important than what people think about you. Mission is more important than anything else. Substance matters over style any day of the week. 
The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Nehemiah may have changed, not changed his clothes, but he changed his city. Stay the course. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I did what? I prayed. Now strengthen my hands, Lord. Strengthen my hands, Lord. Fill my bucket. Fill my bucket. So many of our prayers are me prayers. Oh, Lord, I need this. I need that. Could you give me this? Could you give me that? I really want this, God. Can you direct me in this? I just wonder sometimes if heaven just hears me, 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 me. Sometimes it's, Lord, here's an empty bucket. Whatever you want for me. Whatever you want to put in it. It's not about me, God. I just want to be filled by your direction and guidance. Less of me and more of you. So let's get back to Louis Zamperini in closing. The movie doesn't tell the rest of the story. Watch the movie, but it kind of ends with, you know, the heroic thing of coming back to the States and, and everything's fine. But it wasn't fine for Louis Zamperini. Like many military people, um, you know, when he came back home, he got married, his sweetheart, they had some kids, but he was in another prison once again. Like many veterans, he suffered the PTSD. He had horrible nightmares. He would wake up reliving the horrors in the prisoner of war camp over and over again. He started drinking and he became just, he, he became such an alcoholic that his wife just told him, I can't take anymore. And she left. But before she, or she was leaving, the neighbors there saw what was going on and one of the neighbors said, hey, before you do this, come with us. Let me tell you what, you want to build a church, get a come with us attitude. Come on, come with us. Come to church. Come with us. There's this guy preaching at a tent meeting in Los Angeles. Come on with us. What can it hurt? And that night, that speaker at that tent meeting looked out and actually, I believe, prophetically spoke when he was given the altar call. He said, there is a man out here and he's in on the sea and he's drowning. Only this time, you're drowning in the sea of life and God wants to rescue you. That young preacher was Billy Graham. And Lewis got up from his seat and he walked down to the altar and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Amen. Forever. Let me just move and say this. They became lifelong friends. They've gone on to be the reward. But it all started, it all started with a hinge prayer. Nehemiah with Zamprini. It was the day he gave his heart to the Lord. Last little thing, you can write this down. Listen, don't expect a million-dollar blessing on a 10-cent prayer. The 10-cent prayers are the me prayers. Would you just do this for me right now? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, now's your chance to do that. Maybe you're drowning in the sea of life. Maybe you've served him, but you've walked away. And during this time of pandemic, it's time to rebuild those walls again and to be fortified and strong. If there's anybody here like that today or watching online, would you just quickly lift your hand, anybody at all? Amen. 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 Praise God. I love you. God bless you. Went a little bit long again. Whew, this is a lot of stuff to cover. Thank you for the opportunity. Pastor Michael's coming back again.